Hello, and welcome to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is and always has been simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. As always, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Croqueta Strength, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. The best hard-hitting ammonia in the game comes straight from Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're looking for no BS training and a team that'll stand by you through all the ups and downs, shoot a DM over to The Croqueta Strength on Instagram and take 10% off template programming when you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. And lastly, I'll swear by this. We are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training. And you can head over to any of those Instagram pages to get some products and save money by going to the link in my bio. This evening, I have the privilege of sitting down with Canadian powerlifting champion Jessica Bittner, a favorite lifter of mine, uh, type 1 diabetic, uh, and an IPF world powerlifter. Jessica Bittner has made waves in the powerlifting community over the last few years. I was super pumped to get to schedule this uh, and chat with her. We cover some really good stuff, everything from the misrepresentation of diabetes in the powerlifting community, upcoming competitions for her, and uh, discussing some uh, gossip within the industry itself. So with that, please enjoy. This interview will also be up on YouTube in the next few days. So if you want to check it out on video, you can do that as well. But with that, sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Jessica, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Happy to be here. How, uh, you know, I've been, I've been watching from a distance, especially every time I'm getting ready to have a guest on, I have to make sure like I'm up to date with everything they're doing. And last night, you know, I'm doing the deep dive through Instagram to make sure I can find something, you know, quirky that no one's asked you before. And I came across your New Year's resolution post. And I saw in your New Year's resolution post, you know, you're like, I'm trying to swear less. And I feel like I've never heard someone make that as a New Year's resolution. Like, I think it's incredible. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like nobody ever does that. What was the, if I'm allowed to ask, what was the prompt in being like, hey, this is going to just be a cleaner year in general? Oh, man. I just, uh, I could just hear myself saying too many F words, yeah. which is surprising because I think as Canadians, we say them a little softer than a lot of people. So you don't notice them. Mm-hmm. But it's getting to a point where I was just saying, I just wearing way too much and I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to trying to restrict that. Not that I've been doing super well on that front, but um, it's been better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, I, I mean, I grew up overseas. I, like, I grew up in Ireland. So, I mean, talk about countries who their entire language is just them cursing at each other. I mean, I, I trust me. We're, we're on the same page here, 100%. Uh, but I saw it. I was like, hey, you know what? I think it's that reminder. And it's the thing that I'm always talking about on the show. Like, it's so easy to see someone with a big social media following. And be like, okay, cool. Like they've got it all figured out. They've perfected every element of themselves they've ever wanted to. And it's just refreshing, I know, for so many people to see stuff and be like, oh, wait, all of these popular Fitspo girls, powerlifting guys, bodybuilders, whatever, are just people who are trying to better themselves every single year, regardless. So it was a good prompt, I think, especially going into this uh this episode. So 
before we go too deep into it, uh, I want to cover just kind of the beginning. Uh, I know you started out track and field, uh, and somehow you ended up in powerlifting. So I wonder just briefly, how in the world did you get involved in this crazy sport in the first place? Uh, well, actually, I uh, we started doing a little bit of weight training when I was on the university track and field team. I was actually pole vaulting at that time. And I love pole vault, but it's not something I'm naturally super great at. Like, mm-hmm. I think my best was about three point, yeah, 3.4 meters, which is decent, but I always kind of knew I was better at um, power sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened in that summer after my first year was I sprained my ankle super badly snowboarding with my boot loose. Um which sounds a lot cooler than it was because if you've ever been to Saskatchewan, it's just dead flat and we have tiny little snowboard hills here. So it was not as cool as it sounded. But um, after that, I just got into going to the gym in the summer. And one of my friends who powerlifted just got me to sign up for provincials and uh, everything took off from there because they went really well and it was just a really welcoming community. So um, I just kind of kept that up in the background of track and field for the next several years. And then I transitioned over to shot put instead of pole vault. Um, And that had way, I was way better at shot put anyways. I just didn't like it as much Mm -hmm. because pole vault is so much fun. I get to launch yourself in the air and lots of things can happen. Not that shot put isn't fun. It's just, uh, I'd always done more running and stuff like that. So it was kind of weird to spend hours a day training to throw a heavy ball around. Yeah. But now I'm training hours a day, picking up heavy stuff and setting it down. So it's funny how things change. Yeah, it is. Well, it's funny you mentioned the snowboarding thing. So I moved out to Salt Lake City uh, last August. And, you know, I came out, I I knew snow was like a big thing. But like, I mean, I grew up overseas. I was born on the East Coast of the U.S. Like I'd, I'd never experienced snow. Like I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. So if we get like an eighth of an inch, we're like, holy smokes, like snow day, like this is it. And I move out here and literally today I'm driving down from work through the mountain pass and must have driven through, you know, a monster of a blizzard just getting into the valley. And I get into the valley, there's nothing. But I still that to say, naturally, I kind of got baited into snowboarding this season. Now I'm a big guy. I am not a very coordinated big guy. Like I can squat, I can bench, I can deadlift because it requires me not moving. But the snowboarding, they they really do mean it when they say the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Because I'm pretty sure when I, when I hit the ground on that, when I catch an edge on that mountain, you know, it, it's not good. So it's encouraging to hear that everyone else is also eating it at different points. So you, you sprained your ankle. So it was it just the boot was too loose? Like what was the, what caused it? Uh, I tried to do a dumb little jump and my boot was loose and because I just forgot to tighten my bindings. And uh, so I caught an edge, which would normally be fine. I seem to be pretty good at falling for some mm-hmm. reason, which is nice. But uh, my foot got wrenched kind of halfway out of the boot and twisted over super hard. And if you've ever had a high ankle sprain, uh, they're way worse than low ankle sprains as far as recovery time. Like it can take months and months mm. to fully recover from that. And it did because I refused to stop uh, trying to pole vault and run on it. So, yeah, yes, it's I wish it was in the mountains, but it was just in a little like local snowboard hill. So 
or ski hill. <laughs> you, you got you got to tell people it was off like Everest or something. You know, be like, oh, I was doing this really dramatic thing, and you know, I sprained my ankle. You know, instead of letting them know that it was just you know a, a little flat hill, but uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't that. I don't know. It wasn't that flat, but uh, it was still would have been cooler if it was steeper for sure. Well, you know, I know you mentioned right there, you're like, well, you know, it was an injury that took a while to heal, but I was stubborn. And I kept doing stuff anyway. Does that have a direct correlation into then competing in a sport in which you're pretty much actively hurting yourself every single time you're training just to get stronger? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, track, you kind of, you can push through a lot of stuff, but there's some injuries that you just need to let heal before you can do things. Whereas uh, powerlifting, you can just modify movements and push through the pain. Hopefully there shouldn't be too much pain and you're modifying it so it doesn't hurt too bad. But yeah, that's uh, that's definitely been why I'm probably better at powerlifting <laughs> because you can push through a lot of pain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the the big current controversy, <clears throat> and of course you're, you're an IPF lifter, uh, is what in the world are we doing with not only USAPL, but the IPF in general? Uh, I know, you know, the US at least, you know, Garrett Fears, like prepping up for meets, everyone's now looking at the showdown. Like in many ways, a lot of top level USAPL and IPF lifters are considering stepping away and going USPA or, you know, any other CPL, all these other federations. From an outside of America perspective, what what is the vibe for Canada powerlifting? And even for yourself as an athlete, kind of looking at all this, especially watching America lose its shit <laughs> in the midst of all this as well. Oh, it's kind of, it's crazy to me. Um, I see why they're doing it. And the IPF lifters who are going to the Garrett Fears meet the showdown, um, I believe that's a big one coming up. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's doing yeah. some other one as well in May. I don't remember what it's called, but I was trying to they remember must, some of it. Yeah, they must be banking on Worlds not happening this year, even though they've been pushed back to September because <clears> – <throat> Uh, for those who don't know, if you compete in another meet in a federation that's not IPF sanctioned, you are supposed to get a 12-month ban from competing at IPF International Championships, so World Championships. Uh, and I'll be interested to see if they enforce that or not. I'll be kind of annoyed if they don't because there's been a couple meets that I traveled for mm -hmm. and then at the last, the last second, even though... Uh, the hybrid showdown was one where I wasn't even competing in the actual meat side of things, but last second I was advised to back out of it just because of that same rule. Um, so I'll be interested to see if they enforce that or not. And if worlds actually happens, I have this sinking feeling that they won't happen, but I'm mm -hmm. still going to train for it anyways. Um, and it's just weird watching people in the States do everything as normal. For example, in Saskatchewan, uh, we're still wearing masks everywhere in the gym while squatting. Like you can't take them off while you're exercising. Um, it just opened up to be able to have up to 10 people in a gathering at one time before you couldn't go see anyone outside your house. And that was just earlier this week. Wow. So it is so weird for me. Yeah, you couldn't, you weren't supposed to. Um, if you live alone, which I do, you can go see one other household, but it had to be the same one. And that has been going on since before Christmas. Wow. So it's just so weird to see people competing. It honestly makes me so antsy just watching it, but uh, it's really bizarre uh, for me because I feel like Canada has been super locked down. I think Toronto is still 
really locked down. You can't go to the gym in Alberta right now uh, for you can't powerlift in a gym because it's considered high intensity exercise. Um, yeah, so it's been crazy. I don't know. How about you? Have you seen? How do you feel about all the COVID stuff going on? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I uh, <clears throat> I went to a college that was very very conservative, uh, and so. I just graduated last May, and so I'm seeing a lot of the guys who at least on the powerlifting team I was with pretty much went back to normal almost as soon as the school year restarted just because there was still the whole, this isn't a real thing, like we're going to do whatever we're going to do. Now, naturally, every single one of them got COVID over the course of the next like six months, but seeing that and seeing them train more normally, Utah itself is also pretty open um, just because most of the people are outdoors snowboarding and skiing anyway. And so it's meant I've had the freedom to still pretty much be able to train as regular. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, it stopped me from competing because I'm like, well, if I'm going to compete at USA, like I just, I don't want to compete wearing a mask. I just, I can't do it. And so I would prefer to just not compete and wait until I don't have to wear one than do it and wear a mask. I tried once doing a volume bench day wearing a mask. And I was like, I feel like I'm getting waterboarded every time I try to breathe. So I was like, I'm just, we're, we're just not going to do this. So I, I think I haven't felt it as much as I know a lot of other athletes have. Like my coach is up in Alberta. And so for him, like, I mean, he hasn't been able to go to a gym. He's just been training out of his garage for the last, what, 12 months at this point. Uh, and so I I definitely feel for the not only the other countries, but even the other states that are much more locked down um, because I feel like I've benefited from it. But it's, yeah, it's a mess. For sure, yeah. I feel like the reason – the states they have more freedom is maybe because of I just think maybe it's because of healthcare because in Canada the government's gonna crack down on people to try and stop the spread of COVID because um it's paid for through the government our healthcare Mm -hmm. so it's like if you get sick that's costing the government money whereas in the states when they don't have that uh it's kind of just up to yeah, maybe they don't care as much. I don't know. That's yeah. just my theory. No, hundred percent. Like, because Ireland was the same. Like, Ireland was all standardized healthcare. So, the government. My parents still live over there, and they've been in full lockdown since I was there last in Christmas. In which, like, people can't go more than five k from their house, and and that's been like three months. And so, talk about lockdown. I'm like, I just can't imagine. But yeah, with the U.S., since everything's private, they're like, yeah, if you get sick, it's on you. You're paying for it. Whatever. And, you know, Americans, apparently the most stubborn people on the face of this earth, if you try to stop them from doing anything, you know, they're, they, they riot literally uh, as, as we've seen. So I don't know. I'm hopeful that we're coming out on the back end next Tuesday is like the end of my two week. I got both vaccinations. It'll mean I'm clear, which I'm super pumped about. And I know that's getting rolled out for a lot of other people, but I, I know I definitely speak for the entirety of the powerlifting community when we say we're ready for everything to go back to normal. Uh, it just, yeah. We're ready. hundred percent. I can't wait for meets again. It's been so, it's been over a year now since I competed. So definitely antsy. Yeah. So you said, you know, if IPF, if the world happens, let's, let's assume it will, because we're powerlifters. We're always going to prep up to the last day, even if it doesn't happen. What is the plan for the prep? What's the, what's the goal is kind of the trajectory. Should that happen? Hmm. Uh, let's see. As far as numbers or just, just in general, like I don't, and that I know some people, it's a taboo topic. Like nobody wants to talk what they're doing until they get to the meet. So if it is, we definitely don't have to get into it, but just generally in your own mindset, if it has been that long since competing of re-engaging and prepping for a meet, just curious, you know, in your own headspace where you're at. Hmm. 
Uh, oh, right now I'm, it would change a lot of things for me because right now um, I'm still, I'm on kind of a minimalist program. Uh, Eric Helms is writing it um, for me and uh, it's, it's pretty minimal just so that just because I know if I put too many squat days or too many deadlift days in my program right now, I just wouldn't do it because mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing on the horizon until September for sure. me. So actually the way it is now, I only squat uh, once a week and then I do, what do I do? Front squats another day. And then I deadlift uh, twice a week and bench three times. And that's just perfect because it's just enough to get me really excited for each lift mm-hmm. without burning out. But I also still uh, take way more rest days than I would normal. Like for example, I haven't worked out for the last three days, except today. I just squatted like just now, Mm -hmm. but um, I I took three days of just not lifting, which I would never do if I was meat prepping. Um, I'd be super strict with my diet. If I was meat prepping, Um, I would really ramp up the strength accessories as well and focus um, a lot more on pushing the amount of weight I'm lifting. But right now I'm kind of just doing what feels good and just trying to stay in it. I'm fortunate to have an amazing home gym. So I feel like I have to use that. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and I mean, I think I I know at least for myself, if I even think about trying to get back into a meet right now, I know just have to change everything because I, I feel like I've just gotten lazy, like even just with training, like I, I'm the type of person who like, if I'm in a meat prep, I'm just really, really intense into the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this for a while again because I'm too locked in. I just haven't been in that mindset for so long. I feel like my training now, I'm like, all right, I finished that. Like I went in, we did it. It might've been good. might've been bad. Like, all right. And I feel like if I jump back into a meat prep, my body would like not be able to catch up to me trying to like <laughs> fight to hate myself enough to go through the prep, you know, but you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Fight to hate myself enough. Cause right now I'm being so I'm hitting big, fairly big weights actually, but it's just, I feel like I almost don't deserve it. Cause like I'll go back in my kitchen and go eat something in between sets, like typical power lifter style instead of getting all amped up and everything. And then, Oh, I guess I should add a goal that I do have this year. Anyways, is I really, really want to deadlift 600 pounds that's my goal. I don't care if I've used a deadlift bar and straps, even a deadlift suit. It's just 600 pounds is going down this year. Maybe even switch to sumo for that one. Hey, I mean, they say the dark side is worth joining somehow. So, you know, it's 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 always an option. I switched back to conventional for this block from sumo. And so I feel like I went the other way. But I'm always a proponent of people like, oh, I want to lift more weight. Sumo's cheating. And then they, you know, they go and do it. And they're like, wait, this is so much better. And they never switch back. But anyway. But yeah, 600 pounds, that's a huge goal. And that and I think it's very, very doable. So that's exciting. I mean, it's March. I got nine months to do that. I would say it's probably a pretty reasonable bet. At least you're not saying at the end of November. You're like, all right, it's December 27th. I want to deadlift 600 by the end of the year. You're like, I have four days to do it. But yes, 100%. That's awesome. I likewise, because I have not yet hit my my peak, would also like to deadlift 600. So I'll be sure to DM you if somehow I manage to pull it off before you, because I'm not sure I will. <laughs> but Race uh, 600. Um, well, you know, the, the other unique thing, of course, about you as an athlete uh, is you're also a type 1 diabetic. I know you found out, you know, when you were younger, I think uh, 11 or 12. Uh, and so that's been, you know, another catalyst for your own training. And you're like, I'm not going to let anything uh, that could stereotypically set me back 
actually set me back. Um, you know, as you've developed as an athlete, as you've switched between sports, as you've grown in a following, have you found that your own, um, you know, life with diabetes has helped impact you guide, especially young girls who may be competing in sports, who may be in a similar you know, situation or looking for mentorship, or at least the feeling that they're not alone in having to figure out how to overcome different hardships. Yeah. You know what? Having diabetes has actually given me a lot of consistency in pretty much every area of my life, because if I'm not consistent with working out, how I'm eating, um, my sugars just go haywire. So it's one of the things that's actually kept me lifting really consistently and in sport throughout my life. And I have a lot of type one diabetic friends on social media that, um, I, I love to see what they're doing and watch them, uh, live their lives. I don't, there's a few type one diabetic powerlifters, not a ton actually, but mm-hmm. I, I love to see how they deal with their diabetes and lifting. That encourages me as well. Cause I'm always looking for ways that I can be better as well as trying to help others with type one. Uh, that's one thing I want to do is actually make more content related to that. Cause I think there's a lot of good, uh, diabetes and, sport content out there but there's none from really high level weightlifters or powerlifters so i think i could provide a lot of quality info that i wish i would have learned earlier yeah yeah I, you know one of my closest friends uh, who's actually getting married uh in june uh is type 1 diabetic as well uh and i was told him, i was like hey man like powerlifting could be a really really good outlet i've yet to convince him to actually invest you know, we've, we've gone into like the three different times. He's like, Hey man, if you, if you write me a program, this will be it. Like I'll, it, we're going to lock and load. I was like, okay. So I gave him like four weeks We're two weeks in. He's like, ah, I don't know. And we're on our like fourth circuit of that happening. So I'm just, I would keep like pinching away. I'm like, Hey man, go max out your deadlift. Like, I don't even care if it's 225 or whatever it is. Like, just go do something heavy and then be proud of yourself. But you know, I, I know for him, he, he's been much more of a, Hey, you know, I kind of hate regulating my blood sugar. Like I really don't feel like also adding in the element of high intensity training uh, into that. Uh, now, I don't know the first thing, so I won't even profess to even know what he's talking about. Um, but I know it stopped him from lifting. So for you, obviously, you've you've achieved a great deal of prominence in the sport. What have been some tips, especially people who are listening to this, can be aware of in being diabetic and powerlifting without – yeah hurting yourself or otherwise just completely botching your blood sugar? Hmm. Well, before I'll address what he said about high intensity exercise, because that's something that I was never taught when I was younger doing all the diabetes education stuff. Um, powerlifting is good for my sugars overall, but while you're actually doing it, while you're hitting a max squat bench, even heavy sets of any of those, uh, your blood glucose will tend to spike and then drop afterwards and it's super hard to control. So it does, it does cause some blood glucose swings, but building muscle also increases insulin sensitivity. So in the long term, I think it's a win, but short-term powerlifting definitely complicates my diabetes control. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people see that. Um, if I was going to have any advice, it would be, um, eat and do insulin at least two hours before you start training, just so that you're, you're nice and settled and start with your blood sugar in range. 
Because if you start with it out of range, like high or low, it's going to be really, really hard to get it in range while you're lifting weights. Um, and then the other thing would be just to have a routine. So if you can lift at the same time every day and eat the same things before you work out, if you're like me and your life is kind of chaos where you're in a different city half the week and you can't train at the same time, just have a pre-workout routine where you eat kind of the same macros, you drink certain amount of water, and then you do or don't take pre-workout and keep it the same until you can figure out what works best for you. Um, Because consistency for type one is is really key because you want to minimize the factors that are affecting your sugars while you're lifting because uh, lifting is one of those things that um, can cause some chaos. So, yeah. Well, especially I wonder like, and you say whenever you're hitting those maximal weights, there's a spike and there's a drop. What does that look like on a meat day in which pretty much everything is maximal short of your opener? Well, this is why I get so mad when people say uh, being type one and getting to use insulin is an advantage because I've probably done maybe 15 meats in my lifetime and guess how many my sugars have been in range uh, for the entire meat. I'm going to guess zero. You know what? One. One. One single meat. One in my entire lifetime. Um, and that's just because it is really difficult. And it's one of those things where you have to be constantly checking, constantly watching, um, ready with the glucose and also with the dosing of insulin, you have to be very careful. Um, I am fortunate to have a slightly like probably the fastest acting insulin on the market. It is more expensive for me to get, and it's not covered by a lot of insurances, but it's really, really helped me with my diabetes control during lifts because it just uh gives you that extra time advantage because people don't know this but um when your blood sugar goes high which it can do that just suddenly when you're lifting like for squats for example you start getting amped and you start getting that spike when you're going for a max um if you do fast acting insulin it's not gonna bring your blood sugar down for 30 to 40 minutes Wow. So if that gets out of control, you're basically, you're basically fucked. And then, um, because that insulin won't kick in in time. So for meats, I have to pre dose insulin a lot of the time and just be super careful. And it is, yeah, it's one of those things that's, um, it's good that there's lots of people around and that I always have glucose because you could get a really severe low as well, in which case I would probably have to skip an attempt especially if it was squats. But luckily when you're amped up like that, it's harder to make your sugars low and way easier to make them high. Um, It's very complicated though. So that's why I get mad when people say that. It's like, well, you should try it because it's not an advantage if you saw my glucose meter. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like meat days are already a stressful enough experience, like for a lifter, like let alone like at a local meet you know, for some 19 year old kid, he's already stressed out in the fact that there's going to be people watching him lift. I mean, let alone being on a national stage, let alone on a world stage and having to make sure that your blood sugar levels aren't dipping and spiking. I just, I can't. Yeah. That's, that's remarkable. So don't say that uh, it's a benefit because it's really not is the moral of the story I'm getting from this. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. 
Yeah, that is, oh man. Well, you know, kind of on that, on that same track, you know, of prepping for meets, training in general, I know some of the, some of the classic mistakes that any given lifter is going to make is the, I'm going to cut massive amounts of weight before a meet. I am just going to keep training and keep maxing out until, you know, I feel like I'm tired, which usually leads to some form of an injury and a plethora of any other mistakes at any given time. From what you've witnessed, one is an athlete and two, just, I mean, from witnessing other people in a gym in general, what are some of the most avoidable mistakes that athletes are making, especially in preparation for a meet or just general training? Oh, that's an easy one. That would be maxing out or hitting too high RPE when you're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that it just can kill all of your momentum. Yeah. Um, and it's not that I haven't done this and don't do this. Uh, it's just, I've gotten better at not doing it over time. And I'm super careful when it comes to uh, the peaking phase going towards an actual meet. Um, yeah. You see long, young lifters all the time going into a meet and one week out, they'll say, Oh, this deadlift was RP seven and it's clearly a nine and a half mm-hmm. or a 10. And you're thinking, man, your upper back and you're probably just burning yourself out a little bit. Yeah. And then sure enough, they don't lift. They lift less or not that much more on meet day when they, they could have uh, hit way bigger weights. Yeah. Um, I used to do that all the time. I used to just, absolutely max out my deadlift every week. And as a result, I didn't get much better. Um, as before I had a coach, but yeah, I can definitely say that's the biggest mistake. Yeah. Because then they go to the meet, they underperform, and then all of their followers have to read their seven paragraph meet recap about how it just wasn't their day, but they're, they're coming for war and they're going to be there. It'll be their next meet day. And sure enough, it's just, it's a cycle and it's, oh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. You know, my coach yeah. <laughs> is, a, is a big fan of making fun of all of the random uh, excuses that will pop up on Instagram. And I think it's like the double-edged sword of social media in general. Like Instagram has been incredible because it means it creates connections like this in which I've been able to do the podcast and meet people. It means coaches can get connected with lifters, but it also means that it's like elevating people's voices at points that they probably don't need to be elevated. Um, and so I know you're not one for the bullshit, which is good. And I think most of the people who are at the top level aren't now, obviously we're all human. So there are times in which we're still going to get on our soapbox and, and be upset. But I'm, I'm curious in your time as a competitor, have you gotten to witness very many of those performances that then lead because due to the overtraining or the, whatever weight cuts, everything else, that then lead to those just extravagant excuses post meet, maybe that you were even competing at at the same time with them on an IPF platform. Uh, yeah, actually there's a, not that it's that serious, but there's a couple of guys from our gym. One of them, he's peaking for not a major meet or anything uh, for provincials. And one week out, he's like, Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm going to try and hit a PR of 600 pounds. And then he misses it. And it's the longest deadlift fail I've ever seen oh. one week out. And he actually hurt his back so bad that he couldn't oh. compete. <laughs> and then <laughs> he didn't post up a bunch of excuses though, but I just thought that was funny. Oh. Um, but yeah, there was, there was no, this meet didn't go as planned speech because he couldn't even compete. Um, actually, Canadian Nationals last year, there were a lot of people in my weight class who were complaining about how fast the meet went because I think there was only 
12 girls in our flight and that was it. But, um, and then there's lots of complaining about the refing, and I just hate that. I mean, uh, Abby Silverberg, uh, ripped them a new one on social media, but, um, I just hate that when everyone has the same conditions and I wasn't going to say anything either. It was fast, which I had a major weight cut and it actually did suck because it's that fast, but mm-hmm. I'm not about to blame a poor performance on that. I should probably blame the fact that my weight cut was bigger than usual. Um, what else? I have been around to see, I'm trying to, I can't, I don't want to name people. Oh no, we good? we don't yeah, we don't need to name drop. We can. <laughs> we definitely don't need to name drop anyone because you know the last thing you need to do is create a TMZ, you know, article on uh the Faith Fitness and French says podcast and powerlifting. But uh I, I know there's you know enough what? drama. Uh my I think my favorite is when people call it a misgroove and they fail it on strength one hundred percent. Right. Oh yeah, I would have had this. It's just a misgroove, but they were like dying, veins popping out of their neck. Clearly not bad form. Um, that's my favorite. That's my absolute favorite. Yeah. The old, uh, yeah, I misgrooved this. If I had been fresh, this would have been an RPE seven, but I misgrooved. And you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> the thermostat would have been one degree colder and I wouldn't have drank soy milk this morning. I would have had 50 more pounds on my squat. Oh my word. And that's the thing. Like, that's like, oh my gosh, like half of my Instagram timeline at this point is stuff like that. And it just cracks me up. I mean, it gives me the entertainment I need. Like I almost don't even need to watch Netflix. I'm like, I can just read through this and then go click the comments and watch a bunch of people duking it out. And I'm like, you know what? That's enough. That's good. But, uh, oh man, but kind of on that same track, you've kind of got two sides of powerlifting. You've got the, you know, Dan Bell, Blaine Sumner, absolute just, you know, monsters who are, most part, very humble, just, hey, we're going to put our head down, we're going to work, we're going to compete, it's going to be sick, we're just going to move on. And then on the other side, you've got the people we're talking about who are obsessed with themselves, they're the next up-and-comer, they're the greatest thing that's ever happened to powerlifting, you know, they've competed once. When you've got two very stark contrasts in athletes, what does it take for us to actually put powerlifting on a global map to the point in which it's not still kind of this niche sport that people kind of look over and they're like, oh, there's that grungy dude over there training really hard to something where it is becoming more mainstream. I think we need, honestly, we need uh, reputable, probably big money meets with great media coverage. Mm-hmm. And we need a little more backstory too, because uh, when you see sports, when you see other sports, like super mainstream ones, you get the the background on the athlete. Um, how they've been training, how they've been doing, where they're coming from. Whereas powerlifting, you just get a person mm-hmm. walking out on the platform. Oh, so-and-so's going to deadlift 400 pounds, 500 pounds, 700 pounds. Um, it would be nice to see maybe more of the backstage and what's going on back there and get more of a story going too. I think that'd be super good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just the the media coverage and uh, the prize money. That's what gets people drawn in when it's there's a lot on the line. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you know, local meets in general, I think as much as they are, they're really, really great in getting, you know, lifters into the sport on the front end. You know, like I remember there was a, there was a meet in Virginia that was, I mean, there couldn't have been more than, I don't know, 18 lifters in the entirety of the meet. You know, it's a very small random gym, super grungy, 
half the dudes are just like drinking beers in the back of the crowd. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's the classic old school vibe, but if those are, and this is where we run into Garrett creating a new meet. If those are the meets in which people are taking national and world records, there's a problem because it then creates just this power vacuum of, well, anyone, like I could just go and say, I'm going to create a powerlifting federation with my two buddies and we're the three uh, judges and we invite one other guy in and we're like, Hey, sick 500 pound squat. That's a federation global record. Holy shit. Like we're all going to well done, you know? And, and so I, I think as I see that now, Joe and Garrett are coming on here in a couple of weeks to talk about the showdown in general. Do you see, and maybe you can or can't give me opinion on that. So don't feel, don't feel like obligated. Do you think we're pursuing a viable solution to creating an, an explicit standard? Or do you think there's still a lot more work to be done? And this is kind of just the first step. Uh, I think as far as the standardization, the IPF's doing well at that. Mm-hmm. It's just with everything being canceled, it's really tough right now to keep pushing that front. Untested, though, they do have a long ways to go because there's so many different feds. There's so many different rules. There's so many different standards that go. Mm-hmm. Um, like lately, there's been quite a few um, high squats and stuff like that that have been world records. And then it's kind of a strange thing because the people who get those, um, I guess I won't name names, they're expected to um, just disregard those and disqualify themselves mm-hmm. if uh, – they know it's too high of a squat, even though the judges gave them white lights, which shouldn't be up to the athlete to do that. Otherwise, they'll get ripped apart on social media and everything like that, um, which I think there's definitely the untested side needs a lot more standardization. Um, oh, speaking about Garrett and uh, social media stories, that Evan Cardon guy, uh, he's going to pay him... $500 if he can deadlift 805 pounds to competition standard. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able – I don't know if there's a time limit on that because I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. I watched him do 715 the other day maybe, and it looked it looked hard and it, it wasn't competition standard because he didn't, he didn't hold the lockout and controlled on the way down. So I don't know what their competition standard is, but I just think that's hilarious. And I love the comments telling him what to buy with that $500. Like someone said a back brace, someone <laughs> said a new, a new color of animal, uh, animal shirt. Um, use it to enter a meet. Someone said buy a lifting gloves <laughs> because it's calluses. That's why he, yeah, I know that whole backstory just cause I've been paying attention to King of the lifts, but I get a kick out of it for sure. So like your take. two years ago, was it two years ago? 18, I don't know. At some point when Evan first started gaining traction, I think it was whenever he did that, like uh, where the dude like sat in his bar and like told him like he wasn't allowed to keep deadlifting and it became that meme of the dude sitting down and Evan just being whatever. Whenever that blew up, he started taking shots at Garrett and Garrett started taking shots at him. And it was right when Garrett and I first met each other. And so – I was like, who is this guy? No, I just like started competing. I had no idea. And so I was just ready to start beef and like try to piss off Evan as much as I could with Garrett. 
the problem, <laughs> the problem was I hadn't compete. Like I didn't have a following of any kind at that point. And I mean, I still don't really, but I mean, really had nothing. And Evan got really pissy. You know, I was like one of the first people he probably blocked out of the whole, like, I now block oh, no. everyone who's ever commented. So I've had no idea what's been going on unless I go to like the Faith Fitness podcast page or something else, which actually he may also have blocked because I think I went anyway. Long story short, Evan doesn't like me, which is kind of disappointing because I'm a big fan of just getting anyone on the show, regardless of whether they're popular in powerlifting or whether a ton of people hate them. Because I'm like, you know what? Either way, it's it's traffic. Like people are going to listen to what it is. And I've had some guys on before who at different points, there's been controversy surrounding their lifts or what they've been taking and lying about stuff or whatever. But I'm like, I can't reach out to Evan now. I'd be like, hey, Evan, like want to come on to the show? Because once he figures out who, he, who I am, he's probably not going to do it. But I have been greatly enjoying the fact that him and Garrett are still going at it two years later um, because, yeah, it's he's got his red shirt for deadlifting and he's got his blue shirt for squatting. And he's got – I don't know if he's still wearing that – he was wearing this neon yellow shirt for benching. So I don't know if he's still doing that or not. But that's been the – Interesting. That's the trajectory. It's like his three shirts for lifting. So I got to I gotta give props to the dude for consistency. But uh, You know what? He's, he's strong. He's strong. He's got a really – I don't know – He's he's very strong. It's just he's also got this combination where everyone just seems to hate him. Like he seems to have mm-hmm. just this hateable quality. Mm-hmm. Um, just with all the beef with Garrett too. It's interesting. And that's what I like about it. Um, watching him do the other lifts. I don't know if I've ever seen him squat actually. But it, it's um, he's, he's a very – bent over torso when he squats and like I can as well at certain points, but I mean, it's, I don't think I've ever seen him complete a lift in which at some point in it, like I, I'm not like physically like tensing up because I'm pretty sure he's about to hurt himself, but he, he never does. It blows my mind. I've apparently he's got the strongest directors in the face of this earth because he hasn't hurt himself. His lumbar spine is the strongest I've ever seen. (laughs) Unpopular opinion is his deadlift form isn't bad except for the part at the top where he twists his spine and sticks his tongue out at the camera. Oh God, that's, the tongue. Oh my God. It's that's the only thing. Like, honestly, for the, when he does his heaviest lifts, it seems like he's pretty, his spine is curved, but it's, it's braced. Well, um, there's the odd time where he does kind of lean back and then you get all of that deadlift weight. Mm-hmm. The brunt of 800 pounds is now on your lumbar spine, which isn't good, but for a lot of his lifts, it's actually it's decent, except for that twist at the end, that little that little risky maneuver mm-hmm. that I'm just waiting. One day. I don't, his spine is made out of something else. Yeah, it's made out of the the what do they call it? The uh, adamantium. You know, the Wolverine's like claws are made out of because that thing's not breaking in half. It's it's unbelievable. But yeah, but he, he respect for lifting that much weight because that's a crazy deadlift that no one else is like. Very few people will ever get to. So I do respect that. And that's just why I keep following this whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just, he keeps getting stronger and I can't, I can't take that away from him. I can dislike the character, but he deadlifts like 300 pounds more than I do. So I, I can't say much. So, um, well, we've kind of, we've covered a lot uh, and kind of on the back end of this, you know, one of my kind of favorite angles to look at is legacy. You know, when you as an athlete, as 
uh, as a woman, a wife, a mother, whatever, get to the end of your life and you look back at the sport, what do you want your legacy in powerlifting to have been? My legacy. Um, I just want people to see the Ben. I want women, especially to see the benefit of strength training in their daily life um, and have that feeling of pushing themselves and that empowering feeling of um, pushing towards a goal, especially a strength related one. Cause um, that's, it's important. And it has so much carryover to daily life. Like, getting stuck in the mud and you have to push your car out of the mud. Mm -hmm. Like that's happened to me. <laughs> the only reason I could ever push it out is because I power lifted. Um, and I just think I just want more people, especially more women to see the value in strength training. And I want to be the person that helps them to do that Yeah. as well as type of diabetics too. Yeah. Not that strength training isn't important for men. It's just that women still have a disadvantage when it comes to being pushed towards uh, resistance training. Mm -hmm. So I think that's still a gap that we have to cover. Yeah. And I want to be, I want to help with that. Yeah. No, and I was talking with Jen Thompson about that just like last month of, you know, what, what does it look like for the top level, especially IPF? Because I mean, at the end of the day, like that's the standard. I mean, untested, tested people who are outside of the sport are going to look at the IPF as the standard. That's just what it is. Um, what does it look like for, you know, people like yourself and Jen, Amanda Lawrence, Danny Mello, who have platforms, have established themselves, and in many ways have come from not powerlifting backgrounds at all to step up and be that kind of that wedge and that catalyst for more women to get involved and to feel empowered to ignore a lot of the pettiness that's then going to come out of the frail you know, male ego that sees women lifting more than them. Uh, I think, well, as far as actually my social media goes, uh, my community has only gotten better and better over the years. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm very fortunate that way. And I think it is important to talk about the fact that people on the internet, that's just not a reliable opinion yeah. whatsoever at all. And it's always people who, if you go to their profile, it's private or um, it's never somebody uh, you are going to respect who's making those kind of comments about you. Mm -hmm. um, never take advice from, yeah, never, never listen to someone you wouldn't take advice from. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of my motto when it comes to that. And I think it's important that uh, we don't stand for any BS, but also don't give it your time of day when it's sucking your energy out because mm -hmm. you can spend hours and hours and hours arguing with someone over the internet and at the end of the day all it takes all it is doing is taking your energy and i hate that i'd rather just say something quick and then if they're still being an asshole that's when that comment gets blocked or deleted or whatever mm -hmm. yeah you know kaylee borges said the exact same thing last night it's just like just don't give it air you know, that a, a fire needs oxygen to burn. And if you don't provide it with oxygen, it just dies out. It just ends, you know, and, and that is like, I, I always talk about the double-edged sword of social media as wonderful as it is. You're always going to have the other side of the people who didn't achieve what they wanted to, or didn't put the time in to do it for whatever reason and are now resentful 
that people actually did and are actually achieving what everyone told them they couldn't do. You know, I think that's the cool thing about powerlifting is a lot of powerlifters weren't necessarily like the star athlete in high school. You know, some of them were now don't get me wrong. Like some of them very much were, but that a lot of powerlifters were the outsider, the one who was left out, the one that was dealing with the trauma, the one who's come back from something really, really big. And I think that's awesome, especially as we try to put it on the map and try to make a bigger sport out of it, because it's not just a bunch of elitist assholes, though, while they're still there, aren't the majority of the sport. The majority of the sport is just people who are like, dude, like I, I just came up from the dirt. Like, just like everybody else, Pete Rubish started deadlifting in his basement, the washer dryer series. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I think that's been like the drive for so many people. They're like, holy smokes. Like I could just go pick up a bar and some weights with sand in them and pick them up in my basement. And now I can go compete at a sport international, you know, it, and so it's encouraging because I do see the potential for the trajectory. And especially if more people have that mindset of just, look, I'm, I'm here to better the community. If you're not, you can, there's the door, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, gives us this window that it lets everything in and it's kind of our job to filter out what we do and, uh, don't want to listen to. Yeah. Well, last couple of questions I got for you. Uh, naturally it's called faith, fitness, and French toast. Everyone I have on here can talk about fitness till they're blue in the face and then they'll go and train until they're blue in the face. So it all, it all balances out. But the two questions I think has really made the show unique in some capacity has one been the question of faith and then the question of French toast. So we'll, we'll get to the breakfast question because I love it. It's the fan favorite next, but kind of on that same track of powerlifting has created a community for everyone of any kind of belief, religion, creed, sexual orientation to all come together in one sport that doesn't really care about any of that other than can you squat to depth? Can you pick up a bar? Can you pause it on your chest and lock it out? But nonetheless, it's really, really cool to see where all those walks of life combine to reach the sport. So my question for you, is what role, if any, has your own personal faith played just even in your perspective of training and your perspective as a whole on the sport? Uh, well, if we're talking about religion and all, I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, but I've kind of fallen off. I don't know when it happened, but I kind of just fell off that bandwagon a little bit. And I think the thing that keeps me going is just uh, faith in that life will always work itself out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, it sounds strange, but um, that's what keeps me going in the sport. I just know that I want powerlifting to always be a part of my life as long as that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just a different kind of faith for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's a good answer because especially in a, in, in a sport like powerlifting, you may see a ton of growth really, really fast. And then we hit the plateaus. We hit the point in which it takes nine months, 10 months, a year and a half to then break that and move through to the next barrier. And if you don't have faith that it's going to work out, you're going to give up. Like you're, you're going to stop. And we see that a lot of lifters come up, they see all their games, they're like, holy smokes, this is awesome in the first year. And then they stop PRing every other session and they're like, oh, wait, like 
maybe I'm not built for this. Like maybe this isn't what I thought it was. And it takes a special type of athlete, a special type of person to be like, I don't care. Like I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming in and I'm going to keep busting my ass. However long it takes for me to deadlift 600 pounds or take that gold medal at blah, 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 you know? And I think that's what made the sport really, really unique because it's full of people who said, I'm not going to give up. People gave up on me as a kid and I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up now that I have the opportunity to make the decision myself. Yep. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Well, last big question uh, uh, of the French toast. I'm a massive breakfast foodie myself uh, with the amount of calories I'm supposed to be eating on a daily basis. Uh, I would prefer to get most of them in, in some kind of breakfast food. It doesn't matter what kind of day, like what time of day it is. But my question for you is what breakfast food, forget macros, forget health, like it can be that answer if you want to, but it doesn't need to. I'm not looking for a powerlifting answer per se, so you don't have to say eggs. But what breakfast food reigns supreme for you above all else? Oh, well, if it's something I can't live without, it has to be something I eat all the time. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's um, it's basic avocado toast with some, some spicy on it, like some kind of hot sauce or spices that I have in my house and over easy eggs on there. That's, I would have a hard time without that. Yeah. Uh, If we're talking, if we're excluding health, uh, yeah, you know what? No, that's what it is. That's my answer. I'm just thinking about all like the pancakes, the waffles. I do love waffles. Uh, But then I just think about my diabetes and just how much pain I'm going to feel. Right. Right. There's another element for you that there isn't for a lot of other people you have to take into consideration, which I mean, I can appreciate for sure. I feel like diabetes, you know, with the, uh, the whole experiment where, um, you ring a bell and feed the dog and you get it like trained so that when, uh, they hear that bell, uh, they, salivate and they start thinking about food. I feel like my diabetes has trained me that way because every time I eat something that's like a huge stack of waffles with syrup all over, um, I feel terrible after because it's really hard to match my insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just have this negative – as soon as I think about waffles, I just think about that garbage feeling I have. Mm. So it doesn't even make me want to say waffles or pancakes, even though I do love the taste of them. I feel like it's conditioned me to eat better over the years for sure. Man. Yeah. See, when, when I think waffles, I actually start salivating. So I feel like we're on two <laughs> we're on two different sides of the spectrum on that. Oh, but yeah, that's a, that's an element. I, yeah, I, yeah, I can't even, I can't even imagine, but nonetheless, it's, it's turned out that it's worked out pretty well regardless for you. Uh, and so, you know, kind of last thing I got, what can people expect uh, from you? What have you got coming up? Uh, how can people, you know, be involved in supporting, you know, what's coming up for you? I just have to keep watching. I don't know. I think we've got Worlds coming up. I qualified last year from Canadian Nationals. So that would be in September. Supposed to be in Minsk. Um, Help hype me up for that 600-pound deadlift when it happens. Uh, I don't want to say if it happens because I'm going to make it happen. When it happens. When it happens. (laughs) When it happens. Um, and that's basically what I got going on. Other than that, just some pharmacy stuff from pharmacists. So we're going to start giving COVID vaccinations soon. And that's going to be really hectic. Um, 
hopefully some travel when the world starts opening up too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, as always, you can support the podcast uh, on Patreon, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you can stream anything. You can find Jessica D. Jessica Bittner on Instagram, Rascal Apparel, Code Type 1, and Elemental Formation Formulations. Dear God, Code Forklift. Uh, if you are looking for ammonia, chalk, anything else, Skull Smash Ammonia, uh, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, using codes Big Mo Power as well to save you money. Uh, because I know powerlifting is a paywall and we want to break that down for you guys as much as possible. But with that, folks, it's been a great conversation and we'll see you next week with Joe Sullivan and Garrett Fear. Just another great episode of Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. Good conversation with Jessica Bittner. Uh, as you heard there at the end, you can find her on Instagram at Bittner. You can find me at Big Mo Powerlifting or Faith Fitness Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, $5 a month goes a long way in helping me continue to keep this up and running and churning out content for you guys. As well as that, you can find us on YouTube at Faith Fitness Podcast uh, by Moses Allwood. Uh, if you're looking for video content and a little bit more interaction with me, you can find it on there. And of course, DM me. Let me know what you want to hear, what you want to see uh, as we continue to grow and build. I am so grateful for the support so far. We've got a big episode coming up here soon with Joe Sullivan and Garrett Fears. We talk about the upcoming showdown meet. Uh, and hopefully, should the Arnold happen, You'll also see me coming around with a little bit of merch if you want to get involved. Love you guys. As always, have a great week.